Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Big Mad True Crime, where we get big mad over true crime. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and today you'll be hearing part two of the murder of Jolene Cummings. Small talk sucks, so let's dive in. Last week, we talked about the disappearance of Jolene Cummings, the fact that she didn't pick up her boys for her birthday, which also happened to be Mother's Day, despite having talked to coworkers about her plans for the day. We talked about the domestic incident with her ex-boyfriend Jason days before her disappearance and how that sent all the side-eyes in his direction until the sheriff came out and named a suspect who definitely wasn't him. Instead, it was Jolene's co-worker, Jennifer Seibert, who wasn't Jennifer Seibert at all. She had numerous aliases that she'd used across several cities and states, but her true identity was Kimberly Kessler, a woman who'd been reported missing 14 years prior. Once that was released to the public and Jolene's ex-boyfriend Jason was cleared, everyone and their second grandma started coming forward about strange and freaky experiences with Kimberly. Because Kimberly's life story was so wild, you could almost lose sight of the fact that this was about Jolene. Though she was presumed dead, she was still missing, and that was important. Jolene deserved to be laid to rest, her family deserved a place to visit her and remember her life, and the police wanted to do everything they could to strengthen their case against Kimberly because at that point, she had only been charged with the theft of Jolene's vehicle. The community in Yuli rallied behind Jolene's family and friends and continued their own searches around the area. While they were doing that, law enforcement was about to take on a search so big that you rarely actually see it happen. On July 6, 2018, people started noticing a pretty heavy police presence at a landfill in Folkestone, Georgia. It was the FBI. Hearing the state alone, you might think that it probably has nothing to do with Jolene, but as the crow flies, that landfill is only about 30 miles from the salon right across the Florida-Georgia line. That landfill was where the garbage would have been taken after it was picked up behind the shopping center of the salon. And according to Russell Colburn, Kimberly had been seen dumping items into the dumpster around the time of Jolene's disappearance. This search of the landfill was going to be massive. First Coast News reported that they expected to be there for seven days and sift through 2,700 tons of garbage in an area the size of a football field. 
Law enforcement told Action Jacks News that they don't know what was thrown away, but that they felt like it was worth their time and effort to try and find out. For days, searchers in hazmat suits sifted through mountains of garbage in sweltering heat. Thankfully, there was medical staff on site because News 4 Jacks reports that members of the landfill search team suffered from heat exhaustion after the heat index temperatures went well above 100. By July 13th, the outlet reports that FBI agents had sifted through more than 6 billion pounds of trash and that they had found several items of interest, saying it was the only relevant evidence they were looking to find. The mystery items were sent off to the lab for testing, and while everyone waited to hear what exactly they had found, another whirlwind hit. This time, it was Kimberly's mother. She'd done a video interview with First Coast News, and it was just about as ridiculous as you'd think it would be. So far, pretty much everyone had talked about how bananas Kimberly had been, regardless of the alias they knew her under. But her mother, you know, the family who'd waited eight years to report her missing in the first place and emphasized on her missing persons poster that she already had another alias at that point, said that Kimberly had a fantastic sense of humor and that she'd always thought Kimberly was so much more courageous than her. She said that Kimberly was an old soul who had potty trained herself, not winning any bonus points with that one, nor is she winning any points with the fact that her mom said that Kimberly treated animals like God and that if you want to see someone's character, see how they treat their animals. That isn't aging well and it isn't going to age well, but let's keep going. Her mother went on to say that aside from what's happening now, she still thinks her daughter is courageous, especially considering how she handled the last few years of her life. And I want everyone to imagine what it might feel like to hear this from the mother of the woman suspected of murdering your loved one. Now, all we know about the last few years of Kimberly's life is that she was playing Twister with identities, hiding in cabinets, asking for peeled skin, and eating beef with her hands. So the reporter from First Coast News asked Kimberly's mom if there had been any history of abuse. Her mother said that Kimberly had been in two abusive relationships, that she'd never met the guys, but that it broke her heart thinking that her daughter was out there alone dealing with the pain and agony of that. There was some mention of her mom feeling bad that Kimberly felt like she couldn't reach out to her mom, which makes this whole thing feel like it's coming from jailhouse phone calls since Kimberly was arrested, because if you remember, she had been missing for 14 years. This is where shit starts to get absurd, like there's any actual threshold in this case. Her mother told the station that all of the aliases started when she says Kimberly's ex, her baby daddy, told Kimberly that their 15-month-old son had died. Yes, she was a mom, and yes, that is still a shock. She said that Kimberly's journey started as a quest to find out what happened to her son and where he was buried, which seems absolutely ridiculous considering the fact that Kimberly is very well-versed in the identities of dead children, seeing as she took one of them on as her own and has quite the experience with cemeteries. 
You'll be hard-pressed to find anyone who doesn't think that with all the effort she put into formulating whole-ass lives under fake names, that she couldn't figure out whether or not her son was actually dead, and if so, where he was buried. Nonetheless, that was her story and she was sticking to it, saying that Kimberly used the aliases because she was afraid of her son's father. Kimberly's mother sent a message to Kimberly's son, whom she states she never met, yes, you heard that correctly, and tells him that she loves him. With that, I'm guessing that she doesn't actually believe that he died when he was 15 months old. Towards the end of the interview, she said that she can't judge the journey that got Kimberly to where she is, and that no matter what anyone says, she was her champion and mom to the end. That she doesn't know what's going on, but had heard rumors about other suspects, and errs on the side of her daughter, and does not trust the investigation. That's a whole lot of investigation not to trust, and I'm just gonna throw it out there that Jolene's ex-boyfriend had an alibi. And while he was a person of interest, he was never named a suspect. The only suspect ever named was Kimberly. After the public revelation that Kimberly had a child, let alone an ex, that ex decided that he was going to pop in for a second, just long enough to clear his name from any of her bullshit, and do that, he did. He spoke to First Coast News and said that when he was with Kimberly, her name was Melissa McKernan. He didn't think anything of it until their son was born and she signed the birth certificate as Christina Brooke. So the aliases started well before she claims her ex said her son was dead. In another turn of events, Kimberly's ex says that he never told her that their son was dead and that when their son was around 15 months old, when she claims he told her that, Kimberly was actively keeping their son away from him. During that time, he told the outlet that Kimberly got into some kind of argument with one of her neighbors who called social services on her. When social services got there, he says that she got into an argument with them and that the following day, social services went to her son's daycare and took him into their custody. But wait, there's more. Once her son was with social services, her ex says that she went there with a gun to try and get him back and was arrested. After that, he says she skipped town and hasn't seen her since. Her ex told First Coast News that he went to court for his son and was given sole custody and Kimberly's parental rights were terminated. Neither he nor his son want anything to do with her. The only reason he came forward in the first place was to clear the record and to point out that none of this should even be about them. It should be about Jolene. July was a ridiculous month, but frankly, what isn't ridiculous when it comes to this case? Two months passed with no real news about anything until September 7th of 2018 when a press conference was held. Like always, when a press conference is scheduled, everyone expects some kind of big news, and this one was big. While they still hadn't located Jolene's body, they had officially charged Kimberly with the first-degree, premeditated murder of Jolene Cummings. The sheriff said that they had plenty of evidence and that he hopes it'll lead them to Jolene's body. After the charges, News 4 Jax was able to get footage from inside the interrogation room when she was originally brought in for stealing Jolene's car, and in it, you can see her laughing and joking like nothing is going on. When they asked her if her handcuffs were too tight, I shit you not, this level 10 creep said, no, they feel great. You can pull them on tighter if you want, whatever you want to do. I'm at your mercy, so have as much fun as you'd like. 
Ew. No one knew at that point what had been found in Jolene's car or in the salon or at the landfill, but clearly their plan to strengthen their case worked and they were more confident than ever that they had the right person in jail. And that means a lot when you're talking about a homicide case with no body. Once the charges were pressed, Kimberly's defense got right to work trying to make sure no one involved in the case could speak out about it publicly. You know, the whole right to a fair trial worried about tainting a potential jury pool kind of deal. Everyone agreed to that, but frankly, it didn't really seem to matter. Even if law enforcement or the prosecution couldn't discuss it publicly, Florida is another world when it comes to public records. Her defense gave it a go at stopping that, but rights exist where rights exist. Anytime something was filed, damn near every media source put in a request for a copy of it, and one by one, each document submitted was released to the public. Over the next couple of years, yes, years, documents were released every few months and the sheriff was absolutely right when he said that if everyone knew what they knew, they would be shocked. The following information comes from documents obtained by News 4 Jacks, Action News Jacks, First Coast News, some documents uploaded to Scribd, and coverage of the trial from Law and Crime. Let's start with the witness statements that law enforcement was able to get from the people who knew Kimberly personally and the inmates housed with her at the county jail. One friend told police that Kimberly was actually popular in high school, that she dated the most popular guy in school. But at one point, everything changed. Combining different statements, it looks like the change happened over a summer break and that her appearance and personality shifted, and a neighbor told one of her friends that she'd gotten into witchcraft and voodoo. And I wish this was the only time voodoo was brought up in this case, but it's not. She told an inmate that she was kidnapped at 16, that her mother would sell her to men, and that she thinks her mom made voodoo dolls out of her hair to punish her. One of her childhood friends isn't subscribing to those accusations telling Action Jack's news that there were no indications or red flags to allude to any of that. And remember, Kimberly had other siblings too, like her brother, you know, the one she said she wanted to beat with a baseball bat. Turns out she actually did do that as an adult, and she did it while he was asleep, which resulted in busting his teeth out. One of her friends told News 4 Jacks that Kimberly actually called her afterward to brag about it. And if you thought this story was over, you would be wrong. That friend stated that a year prior to Jolene's disappearance, Kimberly messaged her male cousin on Facebook using the name Mia, one of her known aliases, and the two started talking. The guy was going through some custody stuff at the time, so they talked about that and whatever else. At one point, Kimberly demanded that her friend's cousin meet up with her the next day, so he did. When he got there, Kimberly essentially proposed to him, saying that their marriage would help him with his custody battle. The cousin declined the proposal and got the actual hell out of there. When Kimberly wasn't proposing to her friend's cousins, she did manage to go on dates. Well, at least one. The unlucky suitor told police that while on their date, Kimberly told him that she wanted to start a nonprofit with him and that she had white powder all over the front of her seat, which she claimed was from drywall. 
That's weird and all, but not as shocking as the other stories we've heard until you learn that while on this date, Kimberly managed to squeeze in the fact that she liked to kill snakes and wanted to make wallets out of their skin. Again, with the skin. Since we're still on the topic of her love life, we should mention that a document from Action News Jax referenced an ex-boyfriend of hers who says she killed his cat with a shotgun. That quote from her mom about judging someone's character by the way they treat animals continues to circle the drain. On top of allegedly shooting the cat, he says that she also stabbed him in the chest and bit his father in the leg. You cannot make this shit up. Moving on to the inmate she was housed with, Kimberly told a whole slew of stories like how she and her ex used to rob banks together and that she'd been running from the FBI. According to First Coast News, she told one inmate that she should have burned her fingerprints off. I'm going to go ahead and spoiler alert this, but that would not have helped her, and we'll get to that later. Aside from her tall tales and ridiculous revelations, she also couldn't seem to stay out of some sort of trouble. One inmate recalled an incident where Kimberly got into an argument with another inmate who was trying to mop her area for her. Sounds kind of nice, right? But Kimberly did not think so. How did she react? She stood in the doorway of her cell, grabbed her own breasts, shook them, and told the other inmate to step inside. That's somehow both the least intimidating and the most intimidating invitation to a non-existent fight that I have ever heard. Now that we've gone through Kimberly's history and character, let's get down to the evidence. Investigators believe that Jolene was killed inside the salon, so let's talk about why. Law enforcement found evidence of blood on two chairs in the salon, a wall near the reception desk, a display rack near the reception desk, and on an appointment book where apparently some of the pages had been rewritten. They also found evidence of blood on a trash can, the sink drain, mop strokes on the floor, and on Kimberly's wallet and scissors. Luminol photos from Action Jack's news showed what appeared to be blood on a mat below a salon chair and what, in my unprofessional opinion, looks like arterial blood across a low portion of the wall. There was also a plant that had been beside the reception desk that an employee pointed out wasn't the one that used to be there. So where was the original plant? That plant was found in the woods behind the salon. There just so happened to be surveillance footage of Kimberly taking a blue tote out into the woods behind the salon, and that blue tote was found right beside that plant. The blue tote tested positive for blood. At around 8 a.m. the morning after Jolene was last seen, Kimberly made an internet search for indoor palm and variation of palm tree. By 3.06 p.m., she was seen on camera at a Lowe's with a potted palm tree in her cart. On top of being seen at Lowe's, an employee of West Marine, a boating and fishing store, told law enforcement that a week before Jolene went missing, Kimberly bought zip ties. A day before buying the zip ties, documents from News 4 Jax show that Kimberly searched how to tie a tourniquet and how to inject someone with something. I should also mention that they found a receipt from Walmart for black trash bags, ammonia, and an electric knife. You have to wonder what cashiers think when people buy shit like this. We've talked about the blood found at the salon and on the items in the woods behind the salon, but that's not the only location it was found. 
As it turns out, Kimberly couldn't keep all of her shit in her car, so she had rented a storage unit. According to News 4 Jax, inside that storage unit, they found one of Jolene's fingernails and Jolene's blood on a pair of boots in the unit. With two and two equaling four, reasonable doubt was a fairy tale in the wind at this point, and Kimberly had officially entered the kingdom of fucked, and rightfully so. Just because we can, I want to throw in there that while police were searching Kimberly's storage unit, they also found a crown royal bag with two ponytails in it. Not ponytail holders, not scrunchies, legitimate ponytails in a bag, a crown royal bag. I wish I could tell you who the hair belonged to, but it has never been mentioned. With the blood evidence made public, next came the surveillance footage. I could go through every single time they caught Kimberly on several surveillance cameras, but it would go on forever and be summarized as she was caught driving by and putting things into dumpsters following Jolene's disappearance, and at times you wouldn't expect to see anyone around them. We're talking between 9.13 p.m. and 2.42 a.m. We heard about that white trash bag she was seen dumping when we talked about the landfill search, but as it turns out, it was actually two bags, and they seemed to be pretty heavy. According to documents from Action News Jax, Kimberly struggled to actually get them into the dumpster and was unsteady on her feet. The last thing released to the public were the searches Kimberly made from her phone. Three weeks prior to Jolene's disappearance, Kimberly searched for female murderers, psychosis, post-mortem bodies, how to dissect a body, and mind-controlling drugs. The day before Jolene's disappearance, First Coast News reports that Kimberly didn't use the internet at all. Following Jolene's disappearance for the few days Kimberly was actually free, she searched for Tangles Reviews, the salon they worked at, and missing persons. On the 15th, she searched Jolene Cummings, No Body, No Crime. Mind you, no one had said anything about Jolene being anything but missing at that point. She also searched for a list of female murderers on the website Murderpedia. Kimberly also searched for co-worker guilty of murdering missing person, Body Not Found, and Man with Hunting Humans DVD charged with murder after his co-worker's remains found in Yard. That one looks like she probably clicked a link from that Google search. The most shocking search that Kimberly made was actually a search that First Coast News reports she made 457 times in a single eight-hour period. It was Jolene's name. There are 480 minutes in an eight-hour period, which means that Kimberly searched for Jolene almost one time every single minute for eight hours. The wait for Kimberly's trial was a long one. There were several rounds of finding her incompetent to stand trial, restoring her competency, and then being deemed incompetent again. She actually went on another hunger strike where she didn't eat for months. The outlet reports that she went from her intake weight of 196 pounds all the way down to 74 pounds. She was hospitalized more than two dozen times and seemed to be willing to do anything she could to control any situation, whether it was making sure that she was in solitary confinement, which according to First Coast News, she loved, saying it was like heaven, or refusing to take TB tests prior to her court appearances, yelling obscenities at the judge, telling her attorney he was garbage, and claiming that her defense was related to Jolene's family and involved the Illuminati. 
In December of 2021, yes, just six months ago, the trial Jolene's family had waited years for finally began. Without Jolene's body, they had to prove to a jury that not only was she dead, but that she had been murdered and that Kimberly was the one who had killed her. They managed to do that in just three days. According to Action Jack's news, once the jury was sent out for deliberations, it took them one single hour to unanimously find Kimberly Kessler guilty of murdering 34-year-old mother of three Jolene Cummings. She was given life without the possibility of parole, and when she was moved from the county jail and sent off to her forever home, the sheriff made good on a promise he had made to give the staff cake and ice cream when she left. The cake literally had incarceration relocation celebration written across it. Kimberly had been more than a difficult inmate, there is poop involved, and according to the outlet, she cost the facility $215,000 while she was there. In a perfect world, Jolene Cummings would have spent her birthday and Mother's Day with her sons and everyone after that for the next 50 plus years, but Kimberly stole that opportunity not only from her, but from her children and her family. While justice was served in the sense that Kimberly will never breathe another breath of free air, Jolene's body has still yet to be found and the pain of not knowing where she is is something that her family, friends, and the community have to live with every single day. Though a jury has already decided what happened and who did it, if there are any updates in the search for Jolene's body, I will be sure to update you. For all photos pertaining to this case, check out Jolene's highlight at the top of my Instagram profile at the Heather Ashley, and join me there tonight at 8.30 p.m. Eastern where you go live with me and we talk about today's episode and all other true crime cases on your mind. If you like your podcast ad-free, head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash bigmadtruecrime, where for just one whole dollar a month, your episodes are totally ad-free. If you need more episodes in your life, for just $5 a month, you get a bonus episode on the first Monday of every month, all your episodes are ad-free, and you'll also receive a forever discount code for all Big Mad True Crime merch, and of course, anytime you sign up, you get instant access to all previous bonus episodes. I'll be bringing you a brand new case a week from today, and I cannot wait. But until then, we out.